Welcome to the Well Season Librarian Podcast. This is Dean Jones, and this is Season 4, and it is a special edition author panel for the Winter Solstice. Today, we're very uh, happy to have on the podcast again, Lasana Wallens, the author of Natural Witches Cookbook, and Julia Helena Hadas, the author of Moon Magic Mixology and Witchcraft Cocktails, as well as J.D. Walker, author of The Witch's Guide to Wild Crafting, and Laurel Woodward, whose book Kitchen Witchery came out this year also. So I'm glad to have all these authors on our podcast today. And uh, they, they've been on before, and we're happy to have them back again. It was a wonderful conversation. I really had a great time uh, talking to these authors about their lives and their practices and their books. So onward we go to the conversation and the author panel for the Winter Solstice. Here we go. Welcome to the Well Season Librarian Podcast. Today, I am very happy to have a special podcast for the winter solstice, and I have many of my previous guests who've been on the podcast before. I'm going to introduce them one at a time and let them all talk. First, I have Lisana Wallace, the author of The Natural Witches Cookbook, who grew up in New York, attending Bernard College of Columbia University before moving to Paris. She was born with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, a connective tissue disorder that causes dysfunction throughout the body. When her symptoms suddenly worsened, she developed deeper into her passion for cooking as a way to help heal herself. She spent years experimenting with her diet using food, plant, and mushroom medicine as a way to regain control of her life. She lives in Paris with her longtime boyfriend and splits the rest of her time between Normandy, New York, and Martha's Vineyard. Next up is Julia Helena Hottis, the author of Witchcraft Cocktails, is a practicing witch and an avid craft cocktail fanatic and bartender. Having worked at a distillery and as a craft cocktail bartender at the San Francisco Bay Area, she combined her love of the craft cocktail movement with her witchcraft practice. She holds a BA in anthropology and is a certified crystal healer, shamanic, and Reiki practitioner. And then next up, I have J.D. Walker from Greensboro, North Carolina is the vice chancellor of the House of Akasha, a North Carolina pagan group. A former business journalist, she writes a weekly garden column for the Courier Tribune and has contributed dozens of articles to Wellens, Wellens Almanacs. And then next up is Laurel Woodward, a writer, gardener, and cook living a magical life in the Pacific Northwest. She has written for magazines and e-zines on the subject of healthy living, organic gardening, sustainable living, and the magic of tapping into creative energy. Kitchen Witchery is her first book and her second will to be published next year. Congratulations, everyone, for being on the show. Thank you for being here and uh, a happy uh, early solstice to all of you. Thank you. Happy solstice to you as well. Thank happy you so solstice. much. So yes. I just want to ask each of you, how are you doing and what projects are you working on? Who wants to jump in first? I'll jump in first. Um, I'm finishing up the uh, bibliography for my uh, book on tree magic. It's a follow-up to um, The Witch's Guide to Wildcraft, which came out with Llewellyn uh, this year. Uh, I'm trying to get those notes finished so that I get that to Llewellyn. Hopefully, it will be published uh, next year. Uh, beyond that, I, I just do sporadic writing uh, on various topics for various publications. Excellent. Well, I have a book coming out in July. It's a backyard garden witchery, and it's uh, about bringing, creating sacred space outside in your own backyard. That sounds, that sounds lovely. This is Lisana. Hello, everyone. Hello. I'm working on my second cookbook, um, which is a more plant-based, still healing focused, but more plant-based cookbook. And 
still still promoting my last one but and planning workshops for next year as well oh that's a that's a great idea that's so awesome hello everyone my name is julia both of those books sound great i can't wait to see those come out um for myself my book just came out last month my second one moon magic mixology so and I moved to Arizona this year. So like right now I'm in this winter solstice phase of just trying to get my life, you know, back in order <laughs> in kind of that cocoon phase. Um, but I am hoping to bring out some new projects in the new year. So now I'm just getting back in sync with everything, kind of resting and excited to get back into it with the new year. I love that you said resting also and recharging. I think that's something that we're all needing to focus on with this new year winter and also we're we're heading into winter but it's also the the light season as well so i'm hoping for some good new energy and regeneration uh, i actually just got back to france after being a year and a half away in america so this has been i mean i was in america um basically hiding out in the forest with mushrooms and now i'm in <laughs> a city with people again during a peculiar time so it's been uh i love that you said recharging and also congratulations on your second book that sounds fantastic thank you, thank you to, everyone, to everyone <laughs> yeah, being in a forest with mushrooms sounds wonderful but i'm glad mm -hmm. you're back at your home so <laughs> yeah i feel like it's healthy <laughs> mushroom time later <laughs> now i want to ask you all uh, for those of you that want to answer this question it's optional um, describe your spiritual practice and tell us about your path that you work with. Everybody's being very bashful. Uh, let I me know. just jump on in here. That's okay. <laughs> uh, my personal spiritual path uh, obviously is being linked very close to nature. I've been a gardener all of my life. Uh, my family gardened. Uh, we relied on that to, um, to put food on the table to a large extent. Uh, so I have a very strong connection, feel like I have a very strong connection to nature. Um, they used to throw around terms like hedge witch or root mm. worker. Um, so I guess I would fall in that category with a uh, healthy influence from uh, European Greco-Roman traditions. I don't think uh, many of us escape the, um, uh, the uh, revival that occurred starting with uh, Gardner, uh, with the Wicca traditions that we've mm. just grown beyond that and found closer uh, ties to some of the other uh, traditions. Uh, HOA, for instance, is a Celtic organization. So a lot of what we do uh, relies on Celtic mythology and Celtic mm. traditions. Wow, that was, that was beautifully said. And, uh, and also, I, I, it's so true. We are so bound inside of that. I mean, Western religion is bound inside nature religions if you start to break it down as well. Uh, I love the legacy of gardening that you spoke of. For me, it's nature as well as my, my religion, my spirituality, the forest. Um, I actually, I had a doctor one time ask me, a naturopathic doctor asked me, do I feel better in the forest or by the ocean? And he was using that as a diagnosis, but I love that question. I think about it a lot and like these different forms of churches that we have, but also for me, the cosmos are really where I find comfort because from the cosmos is the kind of this 
representation of afterlife within it. On Earth, we're experiencing it. We'll decompose, we'll turn into the mushrooms and so forth. But eventually it's going back to stars and stardust. So I, I don't know, I personally look up at the stars and it gives me a lot of comfort. And I think that's why people seek out spirituality for comfort. Do you do, you do forced bathing? Are you familiar with that? Mm, yeah, that I, I, uh, I, I'm always escaping into the forest wherever I can go. I do a lot of foraging as well. I'd love to hear about other people's uh, foraging and wild crafting too, but that's an amazing way I find for me to connect with plants and, you know, I'll hug a tree or two (laughs) and talk to some mushrooms and avoid humans (laughs) and all that. (laughs) I I do the same thing. I'm also a tree hugger. And anytime I'm feeling the need, which is, at least once a week, I go for forest walks. Being up here mm-hmm. in the Pacific Northwest where I'm in the middle of the green, so it's really easy to, to just walk down the street and I'm in the middle of a, you know, I have a river and a, and a pine forest. That's a beautiful so nice. area. I've, it's been 15, 20 years before, since I've been in the Northwest, but it, it's, it was overwhelming to go through this entire area and it was just green. It was just green. And mm-hmm. I had come at that time from fall in, in North Carolina where everything was yellow, red, orange, you know, everything under the sun. And seeing that area was beautiful with just the, the dense and, and many textures of greenery. Yes. You know, I love hearing about your guys's forest um, gathering and all of that, because I just moved from the Bay, like I said, and it, it was so lush and green there, especially around this time. And I've moved now to Arizona where just, you know, desert, red rocks, and it has a different, you know, energy, you know, um, mm. creativity and things like that. And there's certainly parts where are greener that I'll be visiting, but it's just such a shift. And I'm just starting to get my, um, garden back going because I used to have, you know, rosemary and lavender that I could just go out and grab fresh, you know, lemon from the tree. So I'm definitely someone that loves to do, you know, a little bit of that garden kitchen witchery. And I love aligning, you know, my spiritual practice to astrology as well. That's a big thing for me. So it's kind of fun to change it all to a little bit of like a different location and tune into the energy mm-hmm. of the land and how it's different. Um, but yeah, I love hearing about your guys's forest walks. I'm a little envious. I definitely miss that. But Julia, I spent 18 years in Arizona and you are right. There is the desert has a magic all of its own. I mean, yeah, of course you have to yeah. deal with that searing heat in the summer, but the winter right now is just glorious and you have the big yeah. sky and the yeah clear big sky with all the stars where you can see everything that's my favorite thing I haven't seen as many shooting stars as since I've moved here Mm -hmm. um and also the monsoon season I love that I live for that kind of you know flash rain (laughs) yeah it's It's very exciting (laughs) it's a wild chaotic energy that yeah Yeah. it is very different from up here but nice (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you can you can turn your apartment into a jungle too. I mean, even if you can have the desert outside, and actually that's perfect for rosemary and lavender. So yeah. you might be even more yeah. acclimated. But like I have a I have a basically a jungle going on here if I tip it up. Oh, you see plants <laughs> everywhere. Oh wow. <laughs> and I love nice. it. I'm in a city. All right. And actually these are all clones. I found I I found a dying plant on the street and just started cloning it so you can make a forest inside any apartment even in the city and it really works that's the plan pothos and uh peace lily behind you pothos over here peace lily behind you 
Exactly. Good cleaning plants. <laughs> so I want to ask another question uh, for everybody, and this is optional. You can answer this if you want or not, like all the questions are, obviously. Um, tell us about the time when you discovered, what was the time for you that was the kind of a crossroads or an epiphany in your life where you decided, I'm a witch, where you said that to yourself and you, you basically claim that title? I'll just jump in because I have a really, I know my answer to this. It happened in two stages for me. It happened in my childhood stage where uh, I think it really started with my sister who was going through a, like a witch Wicca phase, but I latched onto it when I was young. And then I timed perfectly with the Harry Potter generation. And that just like this world of magic started and everything that I'd loved before kind of was crystallized. And I just wanted to be a witch so badly that I would truly mourn <laughs> thinking that I didn't have magical powers. And then that disappeared when I went to college and so forth. And then when my health issues popped back up um, and I wasn't reacting well to medications and all these things, I realized that food and plants and healing and this kind of witchy empowerment was something that I had to turn back to. And it also made it fun and magical. And then I discovered that witchcraft, so to speak, wasn't at all what I thought when I was little. When I was little, I thought it wasn't real and I was sad it wasn't. And then I discovered that it actually is and that it manifests in all different ways. I love that. Very nice. Well, I love the mention of Harry Potter. This is Julia, by the way. Um, and the reason why I love that is because for myself too, like, you know, when I was young, I was always searching for the magical, you know, for witchcraft. But growing up in an immigrant Catholic, you know, Polish Catholic family, I didn't even know that alternative modalities of, you know, spirituality existed beyond, you know, the big three. And so it wasn't until I actually watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer, <laughs> the beginning of, you know, high school and everything there. I was so into reading fantasy and science fiction novels that I knew every concept they talked about on there was based in like mythological ideas. And so when Willow became Wiccan, I was like, I have never heard of this. You know, everything else I'm familiar with. So I started Googling it and I was like, oh my God. Well, I didn't end up being Wiccan. I identify as a witch. That was like my gateway so I think mm -hmm. pop culture plays a really cool part in, you know, letting people learn about other things that are out there that we otherwise might not be familiar with. So I'm glad to know that other people have come in through that way. <laughs> I, for me, for me, it was, a. Uh, I started, um, I started forming allies with plants in my garden and looking up their histories and lore was, uh, just a fascinating gateway that, um, unfolded very a very slow practice that now is part of my everyday life um so we, yeah it it was it wasn't a uh, media but it was garden plants for me <laughs> it was um growing up um uh, i had a, a rich background in um in fairy tales well this is pre harry potter this is pretty <laughs> Um, Buffy the Vampire, <clears throat> and a lot of the things that are so popular with folks now pre-charmed, the original charmed. Um, but I always had lots of access to fairy tales and, and mythology. I, I think I read Edith Hamilton's uh, book on Greek mythology uh, about a sixth grade, and, and from that point on was reading it regularly, rereading it regularly. Um, 
and thinking that this just makes so much sense. Um, and although I never declared myself a witch, uh, I've always considered myself pagan. Um, I also had a, a lot of exposure to a lot of different religions. My grandmother was uh, adamant on making sure that we were exposed to a lot of different, um, these are the Christian Judeo uh, religions. So I, I saw those things uh, and compared it to what I was reading in my mythologies and some of the other uh, books that I came across and, and saying, you know, this is just another tradition, just like some of the Christian traditions. And this tradition makes more sense to me. Um, the magic part, again, coming of age in the 60s and 70s, that was the, uh, the next renaissance of uh, witchcraft and paganism in America, um, where you have all kinds of interest in it. You have uh, Buckland coming and starting his tradition and, and several other folks uh, starting new traditions of their own. So I was aware of those and reading bits and pieces about that. But even at that point, it was still a situation where you were fairly isolated, or at least I felt like I was fairly isolated uh, because there was still the insistence that to be a witch, you had to be in a coven. You had to be in a group. Uh, a solitary practitioner was practically unheard of until uh, Scott Cunningham comes along and says, who initiated the first witch? You know, somebody has to start somewhere. So, of course, at that point, you begin to realize it's perfectly okay for me to call myself a witch, even though I've never been in a coven. Uh, and I think my tradition then has just built from that point on. Yeah, it's, it's funny how important I think Scott Cunningham was for so many of us. And I think reading a lot of the early books, I mean, Llewellyn pub published some of the first books I think many of us saw. And I think outside of that, I saw the first book I think was Sybil Leake's Diary of a Witch. And, and I'm dating myself with that one. And uh, Drawing Down the Moon by Margot Adler, you know, was huge. Does anybody have like a remembrance of a first book they got, which kind of blew their mind? It kind of opened up things for them. I have a copy of Sybil Leake's um, book on candle magic. Oh, wow. Uh, it's, um, it's not, I wish it was the first edition. It's not. And for the life of me, I can't remember how I came by it. Um, I know I got it when I was in my teens. And again, that was the first practical book that I had ever seen. Like I said, it's plenty of fairy tales in my life, plenty of mythology. Uh, but opening that book and seeing someone say to you, okay, this is what this does. And if you want to do that, here's how you can go about doing it with candle magic. And here are some of the, the good things and the bad things that you run into. And, and to me, it was, it was a treasure. I, I still have it in my collection. Um, my first one, I think, was a Lori Cabot book that I still have. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And then uh, I found Starhawk and just mm. I, I reread her books. Um, and every time I pick one up, I, I just started Earth Path again the other day. And every time I pick one up, I find new things in it that that re uh, liven my practice. Um, you guys are inspiring me so much because I have all these old school Wicca books that I collected when I was eight. Literally, actually, again, stole from my sister's shelf. Who's now who's now a, a, a corporate lawyer? <laughs> but um, I, I understood absolutely nothing when I would open it up when I was little. So I kind of want to go back in there and investigate. But uh, I mean, I 
a book that I know maybe I'm changing the subject a little too fast, but a book that's inspiring me right now that just keeps coming to mind and with all of our connections to uh, plant, plant energy and plant healing is Plant Intelligence in the Imaginary Realm. Does anyone oh, know that book? No. Yeah, actually, I think I've seen it. It is fascinating combining the science and the spiritual inside plants and our connections to them. And it goes into identity and gender and everything. And it's so it's I highly recommend for anyone in balancing the two sides of their practice. I, I'm an animist, so um, I, I love mm -hmm. all the new things that are coming out about plants. Um, I just read the, uh, the tree book by the German author. Um, Peterson. Oh. Yes, uh, Peter mm -hmm. Peter Wolmack or something. Um, oh. The Secret Life of Trees. That was it. Yes, oh, that's yes. exactly it. And, yes. and it's fascinating. It is just fascinating. That um, is an mm. amazing book, and and the information he brought out about how plants communicate. I remember reading somewhere, and I can't for the life of me remember what um, which book it was in. Someone said, and this was before Peterson's book came out. Um, saying that uh, people think that plants or trees don't move. And his response was, well, maybe they do, but they do it so slowly that you don't know. People exactly. think plants don't talk to one another, but they do. We know now that they have this fungal network that they literally communicate with each other and, and they make sacrifices for each other and they mm -hmm. send out alerts for yeah. each other. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, I don't know that we should require that science justify what we believe but it is nice to know that by golly we were right you know yeah. we said that trees talk to one another there was an animism to mm -hmm. nature and and we begin to understand that now when science pushes those boundaries exactly yes. and you know we're scientists are now studying on a molecular level things that the aztecs and the mayans mm -hmm. were yeah. doing and predicting in their own patterns and it's this question of knowledge being passed down. And it was actually so interesting that you said about trees not moving. Uh -huh. I love that. Also, just because the thing that uh, keeps, actually right now I'm also doing, this is Lisana, by the way, I was supposed to probably say that earlier. I know. Uh, um, I'm doing an, um, a clinical herbalism course uh, to really dive deeper into plant medicine. And something that really comes out as like, why do plants have all these medicinal properties, all these sort of ways to fight off things and to adapt to situations and we get adaptogens or uh, releasing chemical mediators like serotonin to fight off uh, other species and so forth. And what it really comes down to is their inability to move because they're fixated to the ground. They have to create these incredible defense systems. And then you start to question what movement really is so we can't see them because our safety depends on movement but for them they're moving through uh the mycelian networks under the ground and there's an entire neural dance taking place and i'm so excited um as like all the books and wonderfuls but it's really great also that a lot of this stuff is starting to come onto streaming and that uh documentaries like uh fantastic fungi and mm -hmm kiss the ground and all, all those types of things are coming out so that people are really tuning into this like five years ago if you talked about underground mushroom <laughs> brains no one would have any idea but now yeah. it's kind of common right. knowledge almost so I, I was I was reading about this one study where a bush was being eaten on one side of a field 
Mm -hmm. And it transmitted, it was able to transmit chemicals as a warning so that bushes on the other side could produce a chemical that would make the animal not eat it. it I, exactly. I think it's a bitter chemical. And exactly. I think that's just fascinating. It's that is amazing. amazing. There's things all over like that. I think even I think it's something with chrysanthemums. Don't quote me on this, but they can, if they're being attacked by a certain pest, mm -hmm. they will attack, uh, attract using pheromones, the type of wasp that will attack that yeah. pest. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's like several degrees mm -hmm. removed. They have, and and they protect their own like trees. Mm -hmm. They'll protect their babies first and foremost. It's um. I mean, we or, could talk forever about trees. Or <laughs> nourish a sick, or, or nourish a sick friend on the other side of a field. Um, in, in that secret life of trees, he noticed that a stump was still alive after being cut down for years. And it was because the trees around it were feeding its roots and keeping it from, from time. <laughs> well, we could, we could uh, definitely book, learn something from that, I think. The book that we're referencing there, because I, I happened to reference it in, in my book for Llewellyn, was um, Peter uh, Wollebin, uh, W-O-H-L-E-B-E-N, put the glasses back on, can't see. Um, the hidden life of trees, what they feel, how they communicate discoveries from a secret world. Thank you for that. Oh, sure. Yeah. There's so many good books I'm going to have to read. I know. Podcast. You, 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 <laughs> kind of, you, you end up holed up in your house. You never go out because you're trying to read all these books. Which is good for this season. I have a, oh, yes. I have a lot of piggy days up here where it's cold and sleet, you know, sleeting out. And I make a fire and hot cup of tea and sit by the fire and just read something good. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. On that note, I want to ask everybody about what they're doing to celebrate uh, the holidays, uh, celebrate the solstice, however you want to term it. Um, I, what practices do you have for the solstice and what traditions do you do or crafts or whatever have you? Well, this is Laurel and um, we're going to have a quiet year this year. Um, we're going to build a fire in the fireplace and write down some things we want to get rid of and, or shed for the year to come and sip eggnog with rum while we burn what we want to get rid of. I love that. Uh, I'll have, I'll be having a gathering with several uh, friends and, and members of HOA tomorrow evening. Fortunately, this is North Carolina winter weather uh, and we're in a heat wave right now. It's a balmy 70 degrees outside. And oh, wow. It's supposed to be like that tomorrow. So we will be gathering outside tomorrow, which is, Fortunate, we've, um, we haven't been able to gather a whole lot whenever it requires being indoors because of the COVID situation. Uh, but uh, we will uh, gather and cast a, a circle and, and do a healing energy for one of our members uh, who is in need of that uh, and a, a family member they have that is on the verge of passing. Uh, and then we will have a communal dinner and uh, exchange presents. That sounds lovely. 
That sounds absolutely magical. For myself, it's probably going to be, you know, quiet this year too, since I'm just, you know, again, situating myself in a new location family and whatnot. But I do hope to, you know, celebrate with, you know, a little bonfire, maybe wake up, you know, with the sunrise. And I like to do a lot of reflection on these days, you know, mm -hmm. being the shortest daylight hours of the year, the longest night. And with the new year coming up, I like to use the time to kind of think of what are, what would I like to grow with the growth of the sun, you know, in the new year to, until the summer solstice, you know, what kind of things do I want to cleanse from my life and setting intentions in that way. And then of course, I am very cocktail focused. I do want to try making a Yule log, like an actual, like, um, um, not a wooden Yule log, but, um, chocolate yule log oh but that nice. would be fun but um definitely cocktails so yule mules i'm you know polish slavic so some poppy seed milk is always <laughs> a go-to um some bourbon drinks so i'm definitely gonna have lots of concoctions prepared <laughs> nice mm. julia that. that sounds so wonderful everybody those all sound like such uh beautiful and ways to celebrate um I think I might celebrate in two parts. On the solstice itself, I'll still be in Paris and I might do a cleansing bath. And I like this idea, you're inspiring me, of shedding and thinking about what we want to let go and what we want to do for the year to come. And also less pressure. I always feel like I always fall asleep through full moons or special days <laughs> just from all the fatigue. And I think it's also okay to just celebrate it a little messily this year. Uh, and for the time around the holidays, I'm going to be going to the countryside to Normandy, close to the sea, and probably gather bay leaves and make little garlands and branches and just try to spend as much time outdoors and now I really want to make a fire too so I want to put that on the menu as well <laughs> and lovely. cook um cook uh I've actually I've I, I promised my um my boyfriend's family we're celebrating with and him that I would redo Thanksgiving because I was in America for that and it's just mind-blowing the, the all the food that happens so mm -hmm. I think I'm going to be cooking a big forest feast with lots of mushrooms and uh we'll see all kinds of delicious things <laughs> that's lovely so i want to ask everybody well i know you many of you have already touched on this but if anybody wants to do any additional answers uh what seasonal stuff do you cook this time of year um you know for the solstice or any other parts of the holiday season what what kind of things do you make this time of year this is Laurel, and for holiday cooking, I cook from pretty much uh, Halloween to past New Year's. Um, I'm just in holiday cooking mode. And uh, uh, yesterday I made five almond cakes. I gave one to all my neighbors and kept one. Um, and I have family that comes over for most of the high holidays. and. Uh, we celebrate with big meals um and that's just always been a part of of celebration is food and and um spending a lot of time in the kitchen making something special sounds lovely we usually do uh 
pretty traditional stuff. Uh, again, in Celtic traditions, pork is a um, a key food item, a very a sacred meat, so to speak, as well as salmon. So we usually do one or the other of those and focus heavily on uh, root vegetables mm -hmm. for the accompanying uh, part of the meal. Uh, and then it, it's, it's just everybody's fair game when it comes to the desserts. I mean, technically we should be doing um, like a Scottish, I think it's called a banak. It's um, a um, heavy oat bread that's frequently seasoned with spices. Um, but we, we, we take all comers. Just bring us something sweet. We don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. I'm probably not going to do this this year, but um, because my family is Polish, we have a lot of Polish Catholic traditions. So just to add to the food beyond the cocktails that I'm excited to make this year, usually on Christmas Eve is when a lot of um, Polish Catholic people will do a bigger celebration. And so no meat, just fish. Um, they'll tend to do uh, just tons of fish dishes. So if you're someone like me who doesn't like a lot of fish, it's kind of torture. <laughs> oh my you know, you've got, um, you've got pickled red herring, just all all the fish, like um, jello filled with fish, just all of oh the different God. fish dishes. And then, you know, they do um, barsh, so a beet soup. Um, I love it. Pierogi. Yeah. Yeah, so pierogi is a big one. That would be kind of, it takes hours to make those, but it might yeah. be fun to do. And um, gawompki, so um, cabbage rolls filled with meat and, and tomato. Well, that would be on Christmas Day. But um, that's one of my more favorite Polish dishes since I'm not a big fish person. So those are some of the more, you know, uh, Polish traditions that, you know, I'd usually partake in in some way. But um, this year, thankfully, I am free of the fish meal. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds amazing, all the other ones. I love yeah. that because I, I have I have Russian in me with my my book also coming out in Russian, but, but I don't know, um, much of the, many of the recipes except for, I mean, I like the pickled herring and the borst and so forth, but it's so great to hear those details. Um, this is Lisana, by the way, uh, for me, I just love cooking seasonally and that's how I celebrate all the solstices with equinoxes. It's looking for the freshest, juiciest fruit of vegetables of the season, uh, like, uh, persimmons and uh, pomegranates and just really magical lush fruits like that and actually in France uh, my recipes always have a very French touch to them too just because I grew up with my grandmother's Dutch cooking and there's a big connection there too and obviously living here but the French actually do turkey for Christmas <laughs> dinner which I think is kind of funny for Americans um, but a lot of earthy cooking I love the root yeah. vegetables mm -hmm. Out of curiosity, uh, do they have the American persimmon or are you using the Japanese persimmon in um, France? I can tell you. Give me one second. I'm going to go pull it up. Right. Let's <laughs> okay. Go. Sorry, I sent you on an errand. <laughs> okay. I'd be very curious to know if they actually, I don't, oh, you, that I is a Japanese, uh, oh, Japanese really? persimmon. Uh, those things are so weird because they, they do ripen about this time of the year in this temperate zone. Um, mm -hmm. And you go by and you see these trees in the middle of winter. They look like big tomatoes hanging off them. Yeah. <laughs> they grow up here. We have them. My neighbor just gave me a whole basket. Um, yeah. And That's they are delicious. That kind you can eat when it's hard still, like an apple. Yeah. You don't have to wait for it to get ripe. Um, they are delicious. It. As I understand it, on the West Coast, there are quite a few areas 
um, that uh, have developed the persimmon, the Japanese persimmon uh, grows because you do have the Asian American population concentration mm. there and, and they're very keen on, on enjoying mm -hmm. the uh, persimmons dried, fresh, cooked, however you make them. Mm -hmm. I was gonna say, Lasano, your cookbook is one of the few cookbooks I've seen that uses the, um, the persimmon well and, and really oh, highlights it as, as a fruit and makes it attractive. I recommend anybody who likes persimmons or is in, interested in um, cooking with them to check out Lasana's cookbook. It's really great. It has really great usages of a lot of fruits and vegetables. Thank you. <laughs> now, I want to ask everybody what some of their favorite memories are about the holidays or the solstice specifically too, although it could be any of them. Any fond recollections or things? Well, I think um, I'm, I would have to say, I mean, not to start off this conversation on a more negative note, but, uh, <laughs> um, you know, it's, I feel like a lot of people who are drawn to witchcraft or, you know, paganism, um, a lot of times, at least for myself, it was a source of empowerment. And so I won't say that the holidays have always been my favorite time of year because I go a little bit against the grain in my family. Um, but definitely a big thing for me is my traditional foods. Um, I you know I'm working on confirming my Polish citizenship. So I love connecting to my heritage. And through that, that's like a big thing for me. I feel like a really deep connection to my ancestors and my ancestral land. So that's a big thing for me. But honestly, my favorite thing to do on the winter solstice is just to chill, you know, that rest and relaxation and really just like think about setting intentions, you know, the fire or lighting a candle, you know, um, on the winter solstice, you know, to go through the night with my intentions for the growth, you know, to grow with the growth of the sunlight hours. So that's kind of my favorite thing to do is just relax. <laughs> Julia, I, I love that you said that because uh, I spend most of the mornings this time of year watching the sunrise just because it rises so late, it's easy to do. Um, and uh, it, there is such a, a connection with the time of year, with the energy and with the, the whole shift of the seasonal flow. We had a, um, a circle one time uh, in um, for a winter solstice gathering. And it was one of those times when our North Carolina weather decided it was going to snow uh, on uh, winter solstice, or at least for the day that we were gathered for it. Uh, and it wasn't very heavy. It was more sleet than snow. But it, it was, again, outside around the, uh, the Vale fire, uh, as we had done the ritual, uh, we had gotten to one point uh, everyone had been asked to write down something that they were fearful of or um, uh, wanted to get out of their life. Uh, and then with just the light of the bell fire, with no other lights around, uh, everyone was, of course, in, in cloak. Uh, everyone was asked to share that thing that they wanted to release. And because it was, was dark and we were with people that we were comfortable with, it was very liberating to say that thing that just just terrified you or that just made you feel so sad that you wished was out of your life uh, to say it out loud in a safe gathering like that. And then after everyone had gone through to do that, everyone burned that particular paper that they had written this um, 
this hurtful thing or this sad thing down on. Just throw it into the fire and burn it. And at least for that time period, uh, you, you felt like uh, there's a possibility for release. We, we can let this go. We can heal from this. We can move on from this, whatever it was. Sounds powerful. Wow, that was so beautiful. Thank you for that. It's um, you're inspiring me. You're this just talking <laughs> with you guys is getting me to want to do all kinds of little special rituals. And I think fire and heat, fire, heat, but mostly fire is a is a powerful uh, one this time of year. All the contrasts of the fire and the sun returning and the colds and warmth to combat the the dark nights, but also fire as regeneration and phoenix and ashes and all those kinds of um symbolisms i think rituals like that i the first time i did them i did it kind of more for play and then mm -hmm. it suddenly hit me that wow even if the ritual itself obviously for me doesn't change something in that way just the gesture the act and going mm -hmm. through it and committing to it is enough to change your out your attitude and mm -hmm. i mean there is there it can go deeper than that i remember when um I was having, I wanted, was doing liver cleanses with castor oil packs after I had a, some kidney issues. I remember my healer told me to uh, visualize other things in my life that I was holding on to, visualize that being cleansed as well. And that's when you can connect body and mind and in a really powerful way. So in that sense, just rituals, it's not just gestures, it's mm -hmm. truly altering our mental state and our attitude about something and that can alter our, our physical it's it's manipulating our brain chemicals it's magic mm -hmm. it's self-empowerment it, <laughs> it is and it also helps that the energy of the caster is is purgative uh, that's what mm -hmm. caster does castor oil castor bean it can be toxic certainly but uh, yeah. when you use it in the packs like that or when you just use it in purgative type ritual or spell work um, it's lending that energy of getting rid of this this negativity, whatever the negativity, if it's a health mm. issue or, or a, a life issue. I, I think the the elemental energy too, like the fire or mm -hmm. the cleansing bath, we take a ritual bath, really mm -hmm. works on our uh, our psychology, and um, it's it is just another trigger to help get us in in that state of mind. What plants do you guys use this time of year that you find that you gravitate towards most? Well, we certainly rely on uh, a lot of the traditional ones. I have a number of different hollies, native hollies and, and mm. uh, landscape hollies around. Um, I have you, uh, Y-E-W. Right. Uh, I love my you plants. Rosemary, um, how, how can you not use rosemary this time right. of year? Uh, any of the pines. Um, but I also like to use the um the oak bark because uh, mm. I, ah. I love the smell of oak wood and yes it, it brings it it's, it reminds us that that masculine energy and the sun energy uh, just the uh male manifest in in the in nature is coming back and it just smells so good to mix it in with incenses mm. I, i'm still <laughs> using a lot of uh, mugwort and um hawthorn uh, I, yeah. I use, oh, and lemon balm, lemon balm's just oh, yes. really nice, yes. <laughs> but, um, this time of year, I, I use cinnamon sticks every morning for yeah. just about everything. The, the scent of cinnamon is just, it, it invokes holiday memories and, and just mm -hmm. makes everyone cheerful and joyful. And, um, it's, 
I, I think cinnamon for me is a real holiday scent. It's also yeah. an immune boost. Oh, sorry, you go, please, Julia. <laughs> oh, no, no, you can go ahead. It's all good. <laughs> um, I, I was going to say that um, that cinnamon's also, it's an anti-inflammatory mm -hmm. immunostimulator, mm -hmm. just a core of Ayurveda in a way that helps us transition. I think if we pay attention to what our bodies need, we see that the things that we gravitate towards at this time of year and the things that are in season in our areas they're really synced up like the citrus fruits uh mm. that start to come when we need more vitamin c the mushrooms before the winter time and all the fatty nuts and so forth mm. um but sorry please someone else can, you can take off right here i lost my train of thought yeah, I love all of, you know, the herbs and spices you guys mentioned. I think my favorite thing about this time of the year is actually, you know, the different herbs and spices, because especially, you know, in the cooking world or the cocktail world, you know, you can use them in drinks, but also use them easily in magic. So mm -hmm. rosemary, obviously a big one, um, bay leaf. So putting bay leaf in my cocktails or my eggnog, and then doing a bay leaf wishing spell along with drinking that libation, the cinnamon, you know, using a cinnamon stick to stir my, you know, winter cocktails and then using that in manifestation and prosperity, magic, clove, nutmeg. Mm -hmm. And then more on the, you know, the cocktail side of things, I'm juniper through the form yes. of gin. Um, nice. Gin is one of my, you know, favorite things to work with as well as bourbon because bourbon comes from a background in grain, right? And that's how people would get through the winter months um, in a lot of places. And so to me, you know, bourbon is a great way to connect to that ancestral grounding, you know, winter prosperity energy, and then juniper, you know, for the cleansing with bay leaf and rosemary, and it's just match it with some spell work and it's perfect. You're making me want to use that for tinctures now. When I think the <laughs> juniper gin, like why? Because this time of year is also a big one for bottling up. I'm like a squirrel preparing for winter. I just make giant bats of tinctures of elderberries and reishi for everybody around me. But uh, I, you're making me want to make gin tinctures now when you're talking about oh, the definitely. medicine inside there. <laughs> Julia, I, I'm curious. Um, I know that bay, because uh, I love to use it in, in beans and soups and stew. I, I use bay, bay in a lot of stuff, but it never occurred to me to use it in a cocktail. Uh, what it, is it giving it that kind of umami taste to your cocktail? What does it lend to the cocktail? You know, I, I guess I would say in, in my experience from umami from working in the restaurant industry, I would say it does not give that flavor. Um, it gives more of like that pine kind mm. of um, crisp herbal aroma along the lines of kind of like a gin juniper. So it matches really well oh, with gin okay. concoctions, but even, you know, boiling it like, you know, an eggnog, you know, um, or, mm. um, you know, mold wine, it, it just brings this really it can bring, you know, more earthy pine aromas to a uh, concoction. It's really and are uplifting and energy. I'm very kinesthetic. So when I describe uh -huh. how things taste, it's like how it <laughs> makes my energy feel. So it's mm -hmm. very, you know, like an, uh, an uplifting, but you know, that the forest floor in after a mist kind of aroma. So you're, I, you're, you're brewing the tea and adding that to the cocktail, or are you actually macerating the, the leaf in the vodka or gin or, or whatever you're doing? So it's actually both. So if I'm doing a shaking concoction, um, so 
for example, in my more recent book, Moon Magic Mixology, there's the Golden Moon cocktail, which is great for this time of year. It's an, you put egg whites, um, it has allspice in it, as well as bay leaf. And so whenever you're doing an herb in a cocktail, um, you're going to, if you have a syrup, add that, any bitters, and then all of the fresh ingredients, and you will muddle it. So pushing it down okay. and turning right. to get the oils to express mm. into the syrup. So you don't do that in the alcohol because it doesn't get it to express as well. Okay. Um, and then you add the alcohol and the citric acid, and then you shake it. Um, and then versus, you know, if I'm doing a hot drink, like, you know, an eggnog um, or... Um, you know, a mold wine, you do boil it with the bay leaf in there. So it just okay. depends, but you can try. In my first book, I have a bay leaf orange syrup. And so that is making a, oh. a tea with dried bay leaf. Ooh, and then you add that. that. There's just a million different ways you can do it. I'm so, I'm like, you know, all over the place. So I can think of a million ways <laughs> or there's bay leaf bitters. So if we're talking about tinctures, uh -huh. you know, um, putting some bitters. So yeah, you can do it all of those ways to get that flavor in a million different creative ways into your drink. I love that. And I, I love how you've made that a potion. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, um, I love that, you know, it's just funny because I have to say, you know, there's certain reasons for it. You know, we need to be inclusive and, you know, there's reasons to be concerned about different substances, but people tend to think of cocktails and alcohol as being removed from spirituality and witchcraft. But the reality is, is that everything in the modern craft cocktail industry has its roots in ancient witchcraft and pagan practices. Exactly. I mean, that's the reason why alcohol exists. It was spiritual. Um, and even modern day bitters and shrubs mm -hmm. that they put into cocktails, all of those come from, you know, healing tinctures that they would do or things to preserve the energy of herbs so it's it is totally a potion and then when you get the bartending tools make it really physical and you put in your intention and what's more magical than imbibing it and then you can combine the magic you know with things around you like doing the same spices and a candle dressing or mm -hmm. bath or whatever anyway I could talk I about it forever <laughs> I love this but it, sorry please I was just going to ask uh, Julia uh, have you read uh, Amy Stewart's book, The Drunken Botanist. Oh my God. Yeah. She's, is that uh, not wonderful? I, oh my God. It, it, mm, that is a <laughs> tremendous great. book. And I really like it because, you know, one of the things that was just kind of funny, actually, in my more recent book, Moon Magic Mixology, um, you know, trying to find the history of different spices and herbs. Mm -hmm. It's varied. There's lots of different mm -hmm. records. And so mm -hmm. Amy Stewart's book was a big one that I referenced. And mm -hmm. in some occasions I had gotten to argue with my copy editor. <laughs> I had the same. I had the same. Um, in fact, over half of the lore and um, histories that I dug up got axed because I couldn't find a good citation for them. Yeah, That's been my just... problem with finishing uh, the uh, uh, the universe, uh, the Grove of the Universe tree book that I'm finishing here is finding, as you say, trying to find the sources in the first place, finding reputable sources, right. finding yeah. the ones that go back to the original source as opposed mm, to yeah. somebody copied from somebody from somebody mm. from somebody from somebody. Yeah. Uh, and it's been maddening uh, trying to get yeah. that all taken care of. Yes. Yeah. 
And for anyone who doesn't know, The Drunken Botanist by Amy Stewart, just to talk about it, it goes into all of the different herbs and ingredients that go into making, you know, different types of alcohol. And it talks about the history of that ingredient and the lore. And she has a lot of like gardening suggestions in there. It's just mm-hmm. really fabulous to like learn the diverse history and really go into detail and even mm-hmm. how it's used in modern, you know, cocktail making. So, yeah. Sorry, we've cut you off, Lizanna. You were starting to say something. We got off oh, with tangent. I mean, I don't even, I don't even remember what I was going to say. Something <laughs> of just how much that's imbuing what we drink every day in our recipes with healing medicine is just, I love that. And I love that you're describing that because that's the point of all my recipes. It's yeah. that we can figure out how to manipulate ingredients and combine ingredients to alter our physical state. We do it in little ways like, oh, we're sick. We should eat more vitamin C or more this. But if you really start to go deeper inside of it and understand not only the mechanisms of nutrition, but of plants Mm -hmm. and what that can do, if people had any idea of the medicinal value of plants that you could order on the internet and the kind of ways they can alter you. And when you mentioned going back to the origins of things, that's just, there's been so many ways that plant medicine, healing and mushroom medicine has been perverted. If I must say like one thing that gets to me so much is poppy, poppy seeds and pop milk Mm -hmm. of the poppy. And I'm someone who has uh, a lot of chronic pain and I react terribly to uh, drugs and painkillers. And it all has to do with the fillers that are inside Mm -hmm. of that. Like Mm -hmm. the pure plant has been so removed from its healing source and alcohol is the same. And it happens a lot. It ha- I mean, if we look at modern medicine today, it all has roots back. I mean, yeah. aspirin, mm-hmm. willow bark, the Valium, valerian, everything goes back. So good, good for all of us for trying to resurrect those connections. <laughs> I'm having so much fun listening to all of you guys talk. I have to say just the collective, the collective consciousness of all of you talking together about all the stuff you know is just really wonderful. And I'm, I know that our, our listeners are going to love this too. So this is so awesome. Thank you all. I want to ask all of you, uh, what's next for each of you? All right, this is Laurel. I'll go first. I have a book coming out in July. And um, it's uh, about sacred space and about um, connecting with nature outdoors. But it also has... Uh, it's about creating your own garden and a compendium of, of flowers and their magical energy and how you can use them in your practice. Uh, the project that I'm working on now, hopefully to finish up this week and send it off to Lou Ellen, um, is um, in the Grove of the Universe tree, uh, where I, I look at the magic of trees. Uh, how people relate to them. Um, I have a a short section in there to give folks a taste of um, 20 common trees that you can find just about anywhere in the continental U.S. and quite a lot of other areas in the northern hemisphere. And we go from that to talking about tree spirits, uh, tree entities. Uh, And then I, I go from that to broader concepts of the tree of life, tree of knowledge, Mm. Uh, and the universe tree, what I call the universe tree, a lot of folks have, are accustomed to saying the world tree, uh, and how you can utilize those images to uh, meditate on um, and try to bring that connectivity into your life by relating to trees and these various concepts. 
Sounds fascinating. Thank you. Uh, I can't sounds wait for that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> sounds great. <laughs> like, ooh. Anyway, yeah, I'm going to go, you know, online and add all these books to my yeah. uh, wish list to keep an eye out for when they're all available. So for myself personally, I think, um, you know, now that I'm finally, you know, after you need a few months when you get moved to get situated. So I really want to make sure now that I'm a little more grounded, um, take advantage of this desert creative force energy and, you know, push myself out there. I have so many different creative projects that I want to send over to my publisher and see what they can and can't do, um, you know, teach some classes and just kind of get back out there after, you know, taking a little bit of a, a break with the winter solstice. This all sounds so lovely what everyone's doing. Um, for me, I mean, getting to getting back to Paris after such a long time has been the big, big adventure and next thing for me. So right now I'm really enjoying just being here and reconnecting with a place that I hadn't been in so long because of the pandemic. And uh, and then just like really trying to finalize my, my next book. I've finished almost all the photos because I do all the photos myself, which is, I do, I write my cookbooks backwards. I like, <laughs> I gotta start. It's, it's a very, I do everything all alone. <laughs> so it's a really one human show over here. So then hopefully wrapping this up so it can start to advance and trying to pick up some of the other things that got thrown to the side from the pandemic and just staying healthy and happy mm -hmm. and not putting too much pressure on myself. I feel like we put also a lot of pressure on our pressure on ourselves to evolve and change and Julia I love that you kept mentioning the word rest because I think that's also really important this idea Absolutely. of rest more to do more <laughs> yes all right everybody I thank you for all for being here today this has been just wonderful I really want to do this again I'll invite you all to do this again on another date I'll throw out uh, the summer solstice. We could try it again next year yeah. and see if you guys want to do that. Yes, I'd love to work with that energy. That sounds I, great. Yeah. I love it. And we can check back in and see uh, be great. <laughs> how, how our solstice <laughs> our rituals turned out. Sounds like fantastic. That. Well, thank you thank all for you being so here much. today. Thank, thank you. That was a wonderful podcast that to record. And I really enjoyed getting to talk to all the authors about uh, the solstice and their practices. I really look forward to having them on the podcast again. Uh, it's always wonderful to talk to them. So it was a treat to hear them talk to each other as well, which is really great. Um, coming up on Christmas Eve on the 24th, we have a panel to celebrate the One Table, One World authors uh, that we've had on the podcast before. We're having them return to talk about uh, Christmas and the holidays. Uh, we're going to have Terry Barr back. He was our first guest on the podcast, and I'm really uh, happy to have him on again. Melissa Matthews as well, we've had on the podcast before. She's coming back to talk about her work and her year and her celebrating the holidays. And as well, Catherine Dillon, uh, who's been on the podcast before, one of our early guests. She'll be back to talk about writing, and we'll all talk about One Table, One World, and writing on Medium, as well as how we celebrate the holidays. So... In that spirit, I hope you all have great holidays, and I look forward to having you listen to that podcast as well. And then we're going to be having a um, wonderful season come up next, and we'll be announcing that stuff um, in a special episode next week as well. So until then, happy holidays and uh, happy cooking.